Hello, welcome to the Canadian Church Planting Podcast. I'm the host, Ben Jolliffe, and today on the show, we have Jared Siebert. Jared is a former church planter and pastor, and for many years, he's led a Canadian denomination in their church planting efforts. He also wrote one of the very few books that exists about Canadian church planting. It's called Gutsy. We talk about how to encourage a denomination to embrace church planting. We talk about how to close church plants, you know, if and when they fail. We talk about why he started a church planting network outside of the denomination he worked in for many years, and why Jared is considering planting another church and much more. This podcast is sponsored by the Grace Network. The Grace Network is a church planting network in Canada. Uh, it isn't big, but it is Canadian and it is nationwide. They are serious about helping churches plant and replant and revitalize, train other church planters. You can find out more about the Grace Network at gracenetwork.ca. If you'd like to get in touch with me, especially if you'd like to recommend a topic or guest, please email me at canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com, canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com. Now on to the show. Well, hello, Jared. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I want to jump right in and talk about some of your experience denominationally. And and, uh, up until a little while ago, you were working for a denomination. And according to uh, the website, it said your responsibility was to prepare the denomination to respond to the massive cultural change that churches are facing. Um, How do you prepare a denomination to to respond to the changes in Canadian culture? Well, well, first of all, let me just say I was wildly successful at this. (laughs) Of course, of course. (laughs) They're ready. They're fine. They're going to be great. Um, So I think it's it's a combination of things. One is that church planting is... It's counterintuitive to just about every impulse that a denomination has about itself uh, because it's investment in something that may not pay off. It is highly experimental. Um, it is prone to uh, not turning out exactly the way everyone imagined. One of my church planting friends, the way he used to describe church planting, so you would, you would uh, mail away and you'd get a package in the mail that said, uh, church plant on it and you'd put it in the ground and you'd water it and then you'd figure out what you actually had interesting and sometimes, it grows later yeah 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 you just and and it, the truth is you just don't know what's going to what's going to come of all of it so what goes into playing uh like it, it it is doing combat a little bit with the what a denomination would probably consider to be its self-preservation instincts but it's actually slow death instincts uh it is life not surrendering itself to the process. And so, you know, the natural normal way of the world is that we have institutions that come and go, communities that come and go. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just natural. I don't know of anything that grows forever. Um, And so that's why, you know, I always conceived of, of my job as, you know, like in a healthy forest, you'll have established trees and that's the anchor point and that's what makes everything function but you always need new growth and that new growth is going to struggle it's going to look for little places uh to to fit in and uh, a big part of denominational world is convincing those uh established trees that there's something really valuable about new life and uh it's a challenge. It's a challenge and I I can't say with a straight face honestly that <laughs> I made a huge dent in that, but for some people I did. For some people I did for sure. Well, I I think I think you hit on something interesting there that to convince a denomination to to spend resources you know, to, to, to try and plant new churches, because you're going to have some, some failure, some success rate, that's not 100%, is um, like you're, you're working against other denominational mm. forces. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so like, it's like, a, it, it's a, I, I can see how it would feel like you're pushing against something that doesn't really want to be pushed against. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful and robust system, right? And if we look at how is the church in the West doing, uh, we're not, broadly speaking, we're not doing exceptionally well at making adaptive adjustments that we have to make. Um, 
And, and so that is the challenge. That's why I think people put money into church planning as well, because some of the more forward thinking look at it and say, this is our survival. And, uh, and that, that's, a, that's a big part of it. You know, there's, there's a few other things that I just keep noticing in the instinct place, you know, um, <clears throat> had some friends who were part of another uh, unnamed denomination. This feels very <laughs> anonymous and confessional here all of a sudden. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's this saying that goes, sometimes the good is the enemy of the bad and or of the of the of, uh, of the great what's the saying yeah the great good, there you good go. is the That's, enemy of the great i mean it's also the enemy of the bad too but yeah also uh, the, it should be it should be really <laughs> sure yeah but good is the enemy of the great yeah yeah this is definitely going to require way more coffee than i currently have in my cup. <laughs> that's right um <clears throat> so you know some something like discipleship is a good thing obviously 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 it has to be a top priority of of the work that we do but there's a logic, a circular logic that often happens in, in denominational life and in, and in church life. And so, you know, some friends of mine, they, they would sit around the table at Church Morning Canada, for instance. They were uh, members of the executive. They were contributing to the broader base of knowledge that we have. They would, they would work together. They would be great partners and collaborators. And, you know, probably about 10, 12 years ago, they, their new denominational uh, leader, um, said, look, our focus is on discipleship. And if we get discipleship right, discipleship will always lead to church planting. And theoretically, that's accurate because a fully featured follower of Jesus uh, is engaged in some form of mission out there in the world. There's an outward orientation to a life that's patterned after Jesus. But Unfortunately, what happened and what that meant was it was sort of an all hands on deck. All we're going to focus on is this one thing and never to be heard from again, to be honest with you. Like we 12 years later, we don't see them uh, still present at the table. And once you let up off the gas on that uh, church planning aspect of your denomination, as much as it's going to seem logical and you're just being wise with your money. Uh, restarting a church planning program is next to impossible. And hats off to the guy that that started it in in my denomination. That wasn't me. He did a lot of the heavy lifting, and uh, I I was there to to do more fine tuning and 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 to be to go deeper into the into the into the story of what makes church plants actually work. So. Yeah, I mean, I think we realize that from from pastoring, both of us have pastored, planted, and pastored a church, and it's like mission. Mission's always the hardest thing. the The outward focus is always always the hardest, and and it, yes, you can pot, maybe for a season focus on discipleship, but there has to be a pressure on 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 pushing the church out, or it just it withers and dies. <laughs> it's not it's not instinctive to care about that in the same way. I don't think it's instinctive to start new churches. It's always easier to stay in the churches you have to not, to not, to not risk, to not. So I think there's that is similar to local church, maybe compares in a, in, in a way to the denomination as a whole or denominations as a whole. Well, I would say that this bad instinct has literally been with us since the beginning of the church. Like in Acts, that's what you read about, right? Like the church in Jerusalem thought its only imagination was for Jerusalem and little did they know. And sorry, this is an extreme story, but we serve an extreme God sometimes. (laughs) But like persecution was the only reason they moved out. And, And what is so fascinating is that the life of the church, yes, Jerusalem still had huge significance for the church for centuries really after, but Antioch became a huge component and part of the new wine that the spirit was bringing about. And so that's the challenge. It's always the challenge. I don't think people who, uh, you know, are Jerusalem focused folks are bad people. Um, but it is, I think it's it's always this thing in a church where the gifts have to be in tension with one another. They have to be in, in mutual submission. If you have one thing completely in charge, it's a disaster always. And uh, unfortunately, we often don't get that balance right. So, um, I imagine being part of a, a denominational church planting structure that you saw the other end, uh, which I, by which I mean you had to probably close some church plants down or, or or help them end well. And actually, you wrote a book on church planting, which is 
the only Canadian book on church planting, perhaps, or maybe there's a few Listen, other ones. It's out a there. huge market. I'm surprised <laughs> that I was first. To but it. I would tell yeah. anyone if any if anyone's listening, you should go read. It. It's called Gutsy. Jared wrote it. But one of the things you wrote in this book is this, and I'd, I'd love for you to reflect on it, particularly from a denominational perspective. Uh, you wrote this about churches closing. Let's start here. This is going to hurt when a church closes. I repeat, this is going to hurt. It will hurt because you cared. It will hurt because you tried. It will hurt because you've given it all you've had. And so well, what have you noticed, you know, denominationally about closing church plants and, and how, to, how to do that well, you know, if and when the time comes? Well, uh, okay, so, you know, maybe I've, I've talked trash enough about denominations <laughs> now that I can maybe say something sure, nice. Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I did notice about um, being part of a denomination and having a variety of skills to bring to bear in difficult situations is that I had colleagues who could support uh, the planters, um, you know, as people, as, as leaders, uh, just because you try something and it doesn't work for heaven's sake, that means nothing about your skill level. In fact, it means a lot about your courage and your capacity to take the risks necessary to do mission here in our country. So, you know, my, my, my colleagues would support, uh, often pastorally and, and things like that, but also there's actually legal stuff you have to do to wind down, you know, a, a Canadian charity. And I noticed that church pointers are, um, abysmal often at <laughs> filling out forms and, uh, doing that kind of stuff. And so being able to provide that level of care and support. The other thing that I think is super important, and, and this is something I actually learned after writing the book is, is about the importance of doing, um, a good job of exit interviews and honoring the experience as a learning experience and something valuable to the institution itself that if we can't be guardians of these stories and that's kind of why i wrote the book in the first place i felt after watching many of my friends you know kind of wipe out left and right um that that i felt i needed to chronicle their story uh because i think it had value uh, some of them did not think it had value and and making and, and the actual creating of that book was a very uh, difficult emotional labor of love, to be honest with you. Um, uh, there are a lot of painful stories here. So, yeah, for me, um, you know, the the uh, the secrets of, of closing a church are having a really good internal uh, dashboard and knowing as a group when you're done. And I, I spent, unfortunately, and, and this is why, like, I tried to write articles about this for other Christian publications to try and, like, get them interested in my book, but they found it inherently negative. I didn't find it that I was, like... I, I, I found your book encouraging. I largely. thought it was, too, and I thought it, I was trying to be very, like, um, okay, this is older brother stuff now, and, like, all right, I've got some hard truths to, to drop on you, but I believe in you. I think you should still do this. But uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I took three runs at one article and they're like, look, this is just, this is way too <laughs> dark for, for our readership. So I don't know. My book might be a bit of a Christian horror story. I don't know. Um, but yeah, those internal, those internal dashboards are super duper important. I was going to say like, look, I think we're both pretty interested in, in what you at least called in your book, pioneer church planting of, uh, you know, wild, at least in the church sense, uh, experimentation, trying to find different ways to reach all kinds of people. And I guess the tension I, I bump up into is that like closing a church is so painful and it's so hard and it often does a tremendous amount of spiritual damage to some of the folks that are involved. And so it's like, how do we, how do we sort of, maybe it is something we hold in tension, but how do we have like on one hand, yeah, let's, let's go for it. Let's really have an entrepreneurial risk-taking spirit. And at the same time saying like, Ooh, but you know, we don't want to fail too much because of all the, you know, I don't know. So how do what do you think? How do you balance those two things? Well, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's a huge question, Ben. And I think you have to attack it from a bunch of different ways. So one of the things that's unfinished business for my book, for instance, is the effect of church planning on the family system itself. Because what I saw circling back um, to these stories later on is you would have, say, um, a spouse who was ready to go back in if God said we should do it. And one of the, the their other, their partner was like, no way, we can't do this. Or uh, maybe maybe parents that were ready to do it, but they did not want to expose their kids to that anymore. 
um, there's a financial cost to this uh, that I don't know an easy way to solve because I've also witnessed like when you just, and there are church plants out there, it's, it's rare and everyone thinks, oh, you're so lucky. But, um, you know, one of the things I see in Canada all the time is American denominations with very deep pockets coming up here with a truckload of money. And those churches, they are, they, they can't, they can't develop the root system required to survive uh, in Canadian soil. And so it's, it's, uh, if money is not the answer, there is such a thing as too little money. And I see a lot of that. <laughs> it's possible. Um, yeah. But there is such a thing as too much yeah. and too much money has this habit. This is again, uh, follow me for more, uh, things you hate, but, um, <laughs> uh, right. you know, I, I wrote an article, um, on, uh, there was a barn research project, uh, on funding for church planning. It was an American uh, research project, but I shot my mouth off about it anyway. Um, and I said, there is such a thing as too much funding. And it's one of my most hated articles. So if you're, if you, <laughs> if you want to just that. get on yeah. the hater bandwagon, uh, <laughs> I, I recommend that, but that is a, that's a thing because, because outside money often, uh, enables you to become divorced from your context and each context and each group of people have a carrying capacity. And so if you won't do what your context requires, that's a, that's kind of job one for us as planters, as missionary minded people to live at arm's length from our people and to not share life with them and the struggles with them. That's, that's a, that's a deal that we enter into when we, when we sign up for this. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a bunch of things that I think we 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 need to be paying attention to a lot of gauges. So those are just two of my favorites. Were there a couple more you wanted to tackle, Ben? Um, actually, actually, no. I kind of want to ask a slightly different question. Um, though that I mean, there's lot lots of lots of meat on the bone there. But you started a new church planting network while you worked for the denomination, and uh, and I'm just kind of curious, like. Can you tell us, you know, why, you know, why, why you did that? You know, as you, as you worked for them, what, what was necessary about a new network? Um, just tell me, tell us a little bit about it. And then I have some follow-up questions, but start with that. Right. So, I mean, I don't want to talk trash uh, nationally, but uh, there are theological differences that while I can partner with other groups on certain projects, uh, there's there are some things that are just no ghosts, right? So I'm part of a denomination that ordains women. Now, I understand um, people read the Bible differently than I do on that. Um, but if I'm actually going to train women, I can't be constantly putting them in an environment where people are fundamentally questioning whether they should be there or not. So that was actually, honestly, the main reason that me and a group of other uh, denominations uh, gathered together. But we also found that there's a kind of a constellation of theological ideas and doctrines that go along with ordination of women that also lead to other forms of, of well, just sort of unique, let's say, uh, theological perspective. That's as kindly as I sure. put it. I sure. think I'm right. You're wrong. Uh, is maybe not <laughs> as, right. as, as generous as I could be to others. But no, I get you. Uh, so that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is a denomination or a, a, a collective uh, work that's, we finally got doctrine, right. But, um, you did it. Congrats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but that's kind of where that started. The other thing was very practical for my denomination. So we were, uh, relatively small. Um, and I would say on average, we were kind of in the three to five plants a year. Okay. Uh, Denominationally, kind of, you mean? Yeah. Or yeah. yeah category. Okay. Yep. So that's not exactly shooting the lights out, but that's not like for our size, that was actually, that's fairly significant. And for Canada, like, I don't know, there's not many people doing that many in Canada. So, no, yeah. that's right. That's right. And weirdly, we were also, you know, and there's another trend in Canadian church planting where diaspora church planting is almost replacing, um, not replacing, but eclipsing is maybe a better way of saying it. I don't want to get into white nationalist territory there. No, <laughs> sure. no white people we'll stay away are being from that. replaced. Yeah. Um, but the diaspora church planting. So someone coming from 
from outside of Canada, reaching people who have come here from outside of Canada. The beautiful thing, of course, is that there's a lot of future in that. That's the way Canada is is going. It's a beautiful story. It's an important story. It's something God's at work at doing. But the challenge, of course, is that when the kids who go to those church plants grow up, they often feel foreign to their to their own their own families. And our focus was also on, so we wanted that kind of church planting. We saw the future in it, but our focus was also on, okay, how do we, what do we do for people that have been here for five generations and are deeply soaked in the dominant culture of Canada? And the truth is the more soaked you are in the dominant culture of Canada, the, the, the more, you're dealing with secularity, the more you're dealing with other kinds of issues that, um, that are challenges. So yeah, the, the, the kind of work that, that we did was focused on, um, uh, doing both of those things and, and celebrating both of those things. And yeah, we had, that was sort of our track record. So the challenge for us, right. Was, uh, if you're planting three to five churches a year, it's really tough to train just three to five planters. It's almost too many to just do in a coaching way. It's too few to like run courses. And so what we were doing, or what the philosophy there was, was like, okay, so if we work with other denominations and they take their three to five and I bring my three to five, and then we've got a good little critical mass. And the cool thing is we're going to think very differently theologically. We're going to think very differently uh, according to the pattern of our people, we're going to be more capable of reaching different areas of Canadian society. And so there's something really beautiful and informative and uh, robust and resilient about bringing together that variety of perspectives. And so that's kind of what we were what we were very much uh, interested in as well is like kind of we weren't the big dogs in in the Canadian church pointing world, but we had a few uh, of the folks that would get some benefit out of it. So that's kind of why we decided it was very practical for me, but it was also uh, theological um, for, for my, my home community. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I don't even know if we've mentioned the name. Yet. It's called the new leaf network. And um, in case, in case folks are interested in looking it up, but I'll say this as a, as an outsider, cause I'm, I'm not part of the network though. I've, I've observed it from afar. I think I, I've attended some stuff, but um. You have the most interesting collection of church plants in Canada. Like, like some, that somehow the folks you've attracted who are interested in being part of it um, are doing some of the most unique things, uh, you know, or, or, or the most experimental things. How did how did that come about? Is that is that is that from you? Is that from some other folks who helped started? Like, where does that that sort of risk taking entrepreneurial spirit come from exactly? Well, yeah, like I think. I think uh, in some ways, yeah, this is kind of what I attract. When I throw the bat signal up into the sky, <laughs> these are the kinds of superheroes that show up under the at the base of my light. Uh, so that's uh, just kind of a naturally occurring thing. Um, but also because that was one of the agreements that we made uh, is that, like, look, uh, there's a ton of books written on church planting. There's a lot of very standard issue advice that's good advice that you should take. Um, but if you want to do something unique, if you want to do something that hasn't been tried before, and that's that's where we're moving back into what, what I've termed the pioneer planter uh, uh, sort of idea is like... It, for pioneer planters, it's not enough somehow to just simply plant a church. It is, I want to plant a new kind, a new way. And that's inherently more risky. You pay a penalty, as I described in the book, for doing that. But it's worth it because it moves the church uh, into more and more of a uh, missionary-oriented direction. It, it it tunes the church to, to keep, keep um, broadcasting on the frequency that Canadians are actually tuned to. And so that sort of philosophy and impulse, when you start putting that out there, the, the people filter themselves out, right? So that's uh, that's kind of how that that played. And, and yeah, we are sort of the, 
uh, lots of us belong to denominations, but we're often the oddball in our <laughs> denomination. The, the black so sheep that's of what all I your... said to, to denominational leaders. I'm like, give me your weirdos. <laughs> give me all your weirdos. And you can keep your bowl down the middle, folks. And they're going to do well. And they might even do better if, uh, if you put them in another network. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's curation, maybe. It'd be a, like a cool way of saying that. <laughs> Cura- yeah, curation. Because it is like, you know... If the New Leaf Network is functioning as a sort of R and D lab of how do we how do we reach uh, maybe younger Canadians, different kinds of Canadians, um, you know, or or just people who who are not reached by traditional churches, you know, whatever, as broadly as you can imagine that it's like, yeah, that's inevitably going to be smaller and more riskier and, and take some oddballs themselves who don't feel like they fit in, um, in traditional church structures or or they're not down the middle of the road of, of some denomination that's that's already out there or whatever. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What else? Tell, me, tell us a little bit more about the New Leaf Network. What else does it offer Like for folks who are interested? So you've talked, kind of talked about you somehow networking and, and there's some training stuff. What else does New Leaf do? Yeah, so our main, our sort of main core ministries for the last little bit have been church planning focus. So we help with discernment process, although a lot of established pastors have started engaging with our discernment pathway. Oh, okay. Interesting. I don't know if you were around, but uh, the planet had a uh, global pandemic. Uh, and <laughs> I tried to ignore it mostly. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, it, 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 uh, it really uh, changed up uh, a lot of folks. Um, and so, yeah, that's where a, sta- a lot of our established pastors are coming in saying like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Um, I don't know if I can go back to the way to quote unquote normal. So yeah, we've got this thing called the discernment pathway. Uh, we do uh, church plant design shops. Um, we're, we've started hosting a national gathering of practitioners uh, called the table. Um, we have a blog, we've got a podcast, we've got, um, uh, we, we've worked at research on multivocational ministry in Canada. So we're partnered with Briarcrest. Uh, to help them roll that out. So that was some research that we were involved with a few years ago. Um, and there's a book that came out of that called Tent Makers, where publishers on Canadian topics, uh, tens of copies are sold uh, every year. <laughs> I bought one. I'm, yeah, one, of, it's I'm one of those we people. Saw it. We saw it. <laughs> Proud ben. owner. We saw it. Um, <laughs> saw that yeah. just come through. <laughs> uh, we appreciate your, your $8 contribution. Um, so, yeah, we... and. We also, uh, we have a weekly gathering called the Learning Center. And so we bring in Canadian uh, experts on a variety of topics. We started that during the pandemic because we were a largely in-person network, always um, face-to-face on site with one another. Um, But obviously that became impossible. And so we started this thing called the Learning Center. And we've had the wildest guests on there. Um, one of our first guests was a planter who was an epidemiologist that had a hand in writing Canada's response to global pandemics. Uh, I don't, I, I thought that was fairly well dialed in. Uh, yeah. Like uh, expertise. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. Looking for someone who like, wait, church planter and epidemic. Most of us are like one or the other. That's right. Most and, of and us. Never, yeah. never the twain shall <laughs> yeah. meet, but there's uh, two kinds of people this, this in person. this world. Epidemiologists. <laughs> yeah, this person. Church somehow planters. Both. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. Tell us, tell me a little bit about the kind of people you see being interested in church planting. So I don't know if they're always younger folks, maybe they're more middle-aged too, but like people coming in who are like, I, I think the, I think God's calling me to plant a church. What, what do you notice about them? Any sort of trends, any sort of just things that, uh, that kind of piqued your interest? Well, I mean, so the, the, the biggest trend in Canada is still diaspora church planting. And I think we need to do a lot more work to figure out what's going on there because it's a beautiful unfolding story. Um, and some of the diseases that the Canadian church has and the Canadian environment itself are not diseases that these folks are carrying into their story. And so um, uh, we need tighter relationships with diaspora church planners. They have a lot to teach us about the breadth of Christianity globally as it's experienced uh, and the vitality. Man, oh man. You want to talk about vital prayer lives, vital mission lives, uh, people who are not uh, waiting for the church to hand them something. They're just ready 
and willing to serve. And it's a beautiful thing to be around. It's encouraging. So that's one group that I think we, we need to, to do some serious uh, focus on. Um, is that mostly uh, Asian and African or is there any particular countries even that oh, you're like, man. The, it's, the Iranians, it's the like we got to watch, we got to talk to them or like, is there any? Yes. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, there is something going on among Iranians in Canada right now that's unprecedented and it is wild, wild stuff. Um, and uh, so, so that's a, that's something cool to, to be on the lookout for. Um yeah, I mean, it's honestly all over the world. Folks from Haiti, uh, folks from China. Um, and and we do have, because our prime minister is in some kind of low-level fistfight with the Chinese government, like <laughs> there's a, th- this, this immigration from Hong Kong is something that the Canadian church definitely has to be paying attention to. These are going to be a brand new breed of immigrant that we've never seen before. These are, and, and, and sorry, I shouldn't say immigrant because that's a, that's a, I meant, I meant refugee, right? So, so people who are fleeing political challenges, but are, you know, they're not, uh, economically strained. Uh, they have very robust, like education and all of that stuff. They're coming. And, um, a lot of the Canadian, Chinese church we have is not Hong Kong. They, they're not compatible with Hong Kong in, in cultural ways. So that's something else that's brand new. We got to be paying attention to, but in terms of other demographics, like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of different people, younger people, uh, certainly, uh, still feeling called, but I'm noticing that we need to, we need to put a little bit more time and attention into that one. Um, Second career folks who are like, look, I've done the pastoring thing for a bit and I'm kind of done with servicing the needs of the already Christian. And I want to uh, do something to reach out beyond the four walls of traditional church. And um, uh, so that's a vibrant group. Um, I think for young people, we're one of the things that we're not doing is we're not putting it out front of them as a viable alternative. And that's something that my network is actually trying to do through things like learning parties. Learning parties are a way to like demystify sh- starting stuff. And so we gather people together on a Saturday from a particular region and we say, all right, tell us a story about starting something. And it's not always church plants. It's like I saw the need for a refugee settlement in my city. I did something about it. I live near a safe injection site and I noticed a bunch of guys hanging out in the back alley. And so I just wheeled my barbecue over there and that's how I started a, you know, a brand new thing. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. And the, and the thing we have to keep flexing in this, in this, um, in this moment of shrinkage uh, in the Canadian church is we have to keep flexing the start new stuff model. Um, if we only focus on consolidating our losses as the Canadian church and we refuse to compost and consolidation is about keeping the past alive. You know, it's about sweeping together all you've got left into a little pile to make it a a slightly bigger pile. Composting is allowing what was to collapse and die and disintegrate to create the conditions for new life. And there's a disconnect between what it was and what it's going to be. And that's a scary thing because that involves death. But we also supposedly are resurrection people. And so I would hope that 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 we could do that shift a bit more often, a bit more easily. So that's one of the things that we have to, to work at. And for young people, I just don't think we're putting out the call to them to go out and do something brand new. More often... The call is come on in, continue to meet our needs, continue to help us feel good about, you know, where our faith is at. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. I, I, I think you're I think you're bang on and that it needs to be even even broader than just come plant a church. It's like that 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 starting mentality, that trying something mentality, I think is is super important. Um, I'd love to chat a little bit more about those like mid career uh, type of folks. Cause I think that's, that's interesting. And one of the things you touch on in your book is, uh, is church planters being willing to leave the, uh, the lovely church they've planted and that, you know, those who've been, you know, quote unquote successful, um, 
And uh, and you were, so one of the things you write is this. So wouldn't it make sense the best candidates for the future of pioneer church planting in Canada would be people who've attempted it at least once before? And so I'd love for you to expand on that. How many of us church planters should leave our, our established church that's happily paying our salary, <laughs> you know, and, and run it back? Tell us, tell us about that. So uh, church planters are not immune from this disease. So what happens in, in successful church plants, or at least ones that uh, continue on, um, I, th- I still think experiments that don't work out can be a form of success if you if you actually learn from what you what you experienced um but the i mean the challenges are obvious right like like uh you're looking at forging ahead but here's why that doesn't always happen is because your church plant has now become established and it's not as interested in new stuff and it becomes what everything else becomes, which is jealous of the new stuff and give me the nutrients, give me the resources so that I can continue to grow. Um, and I don't think we're ever going to do away with that tension because it's, it's natural, it's healthy, it's, it's, it's a part of survival. Um, but at the same time, it is so toxic to our future that we have to at least be pushing back against it or holding it back in some way. So I would say that, um, you know, for, for uh, the folks who have tried and would like to try again, you know, I think that, that if they're in the learning capacity and they want to try and do that, that's great. If you're a planter right now and you're getting a little bit itchy because maybe you're like year five or six or seven, and things are working and you're getting a little bit bored. And so what happens to starter ADHD types who um, who get into situations where things start working? They start breaking stuff. Um, <laughs> Just so you have something so to do go, to fix it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, or they do what I did, which is constantly try to start something brand new from within the context of the established thing. And sometimes you get visionary leaders and they'll allow you to start new stuff and they will pay the penalty for you to enable you to start new stuff. And that has been and had been my experience in my own denomination of leaders who could see the writing on the wall, leaders who could see the uh, into the future. And they en- enabled me to do that. So that's what I'm, <clears throat> that's what I would hope Ben is that, you know, in your church plant um, as it ages, as it establishes itself is you could get into the DNA of that church Look, we are not just one and done here. We are going to do more of these. And our core mission isn't just our own survival. It's how do we uh, look after the the broader scope? How do we have a broader horizon? When we think about what our church does, is it confined to four walls all of a sudden again? And, and it happens so naturally, happens so quickly church plants that are two weeks old are still have traditions that they can can no longer break. No, I sat here last week. I'm sitting here again. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's my chair. (laughs) It's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. It's, it's so hard to maintain that edge. And like our, our, our church is uh, nine years old. We're, we're trying to do our first daughter church, but it's like, it's just, it's so incredibly hard because the gravitational pull is inwards. There's a million things you could be doing inside your own church, things that, that people are asking for. And not not because they're selfish, just because it's like, yes, that would be a good thing. That's a good idea. But returning to our you know, good is the enemy of great, it's that like, yes, but it would be great if we could have another church. It'd be good if we had a better discipleship program. But you know, and it's but it's but it's so hard to resist that push because all the or not all, a lot of the input you're getting from well-meaning folks is like, could we do this? Could we do that? When like, we gotta, we gotta save our, I mean, I don't like war now. We just save our, saving our ammunition for other things, saving our resources to go a different direction than, than that is, it's so hard to keep that edge in a, even, even in a, a young church like ours, let alone if I was in a 70 or 80 year old church, I can't imagine what the inertia or the, the pushback would be like. I, and, and the truth is, Ben, I don't know how to make this easier because let's just say, for instance, I gave you a salary for the rest of your life that was livable, say, for your family, right? Um, it would drain you of all of your drive uh, because you need some of that pressure to m- help you have better ideas. And so your next church plant, 
you might be tempted to not push or go into as risky a place or whatever. There's no good solution. The and and I don't know where we got the idea that all of this has to be easy and simple. I think there is something beautiful to the faith. Uh, my faith is meant to be taken out of its velvet line case and swung around a little bit. I need some dints yeah, and scratches fair. in it. It needs to be used. And I can say this, Ben, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not putting anything on you. Jared Siebert has located in his own soul after, you know, the, the me finishing up with my last denomination, I can feel where I'm round, where I should be sharp. Now it's just not my aging, uh, frame, although that that is happening too. Um, <laughs> it's related, yeah. Uh, I I have allowed um, those forces to blunt me, or those forces acted on me and did blunt me, and I can feel them like, hmm. Well, we could sharpen this up a little bit here. We could do a little bit more in this department, and um, it's painful. But what is your life for if it isn't to to serve God? entirely and that requires sacrifice and joining christ in his sufferings and i think that's one of the things that i notice in the global church that is is the canadian church is very sleepy around its doctrine and theology of suffering and um uh, i currently am suffering and i hate it i hate it i want to go back uh, the good news is there's no path for me. Uh, <laughs> you burned all the bridges. Yeah. yeah. You lit everything on fire. Yeah. And it's those all... <laughs> boats have sunk in the harbor and uh, they're now just, but, I mean, diving his, attractions. That's right. Well, historically, that's like how, how the conquerors have done it, right? Sometimes when you need, when you need a, a forcing function, when you need to push yourself, you actually do light the boats on fire and you, and you have to walk away from them because you know what's next. And I, I'd love if, if with our remaining time, we could just explore a bit of your story because I know you are you're going through some stuff and but for everyone else so jared planted a church pastored it for a while it did some other things but then ended up in a denominational role helping a denomination think about church planting you've recently exited that and and now you've told me you're in uh you're you're going through the new leaf network discernment process yes, discernment i'm Is taking my own medicine yeah <laughs> that's right so just tell us what what that's like like what are some of the thoughts you're thinking what are some of the questions you're you're questioning um where are you at yeah so i i I planted my first church uh, in sort of November 97, January of 98. Um, and uh, uh, that was magic for me. I had never even heard the term church planting. I literally <laughs> thought it had to do with like the shrubs in the flower bed outside of churches. I'd heard of church splits, but I'd never. Yeah, that's right. We knew about those yeah. in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't know about it. And I had a friend who had basically gathered together the core team and had the idea and had done most of it. It was pretty just to add water for me. But um, uh, through that experience, and to be honest with you, Ben, that was the deepest sense of church home I've ever had in my life. Um, who I was. I was not edgy there uh, because that was normal like risk taking creativity thinking a pushing all of those things were expected and they were enjoyed and we were all ready for it um but like everybody else about year seven i started to uh i needed something new i wanted i could tell that what was required of me was like minor improvements to the budget and a three-year plan that would lead us to this and endless conversations about insurance. And I'm just not, <laughs> I'm just not built for it. And, That's right. and what had happened in the meantime is when we had built our thing, people from all over Quebec and Southern Ontario uh, uh, were coming and saying, how did you do what you did? I don't understand. How did you get here? What did you do? And so I was kind of working with some of those folks. I was having those kinds of meetings and coffees and, and lunches a lot at my church. And that kind of caught the attention of my denomination. And so the deal I made was I would leave my home and I would go 
kind of on a sojourn and I would help other people establish their home. And I did that for 18 years and it was, I don't regret it. I learned a lot. Um, uh, I think I'm a better leader now than I, I was back then. Although I think I was more courageous than, than I am now. And I'm, I'm working that out in my own, my own heart. But, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I left home to help and I learned a ton about Canada. I, I, I got my head way up so I could see more of the horizon and I understood how broad this story actually needs to be. If we want to reach Canada, we need all kinds of people doing all kinds of stuff in all kinds of ways we've never imagined before. And so that was a beautiful experiment. It was something that I was grateful for, um, but it came to an end. Um, restructuring. So it's, this isn't a big scandal. I like, this is a very public thing. <laughs> there's no juicy story. We're yeah, there's no story. It's so boring. It's so boring. I know, got, God just called me to do something different. <laughs> not, not even that. It was, you know, like literally it's just, uh, I got org charts and Excel spreadsheets. If you want to go into it, I can, I can give you all those things you loved about the church plant at seven years in org charts, insurance, HR. Yeah. Uh, so now, and this was a sense. So this, this is, uh, this was a sense I started having sort of early last fall. I had talked to a pastor, a local church pastor that had resigned and they had resigned just after the church had recovered and things were going well. And the church was starting to turn its attention toward the future. Cause during the pandemic, all of our churches got into survival mode and it got ugly and it was really hard for a lot of our pastors to continue because this isn't what they signed up to be like a YouTube celebrity or whatever. So, um, so this person resigned and they resigned because it was going well and because things were going to return back to the normal. And they just realized I'm out and I don't know what happened in me, but it made me long for home. It made me long for, um, a place that fit a place that, but I was a denominational leader at the time and I don't, I literally did not have time to plant a church. It would have been another quote unquote distraction from my job. It's not in my job description, but I couldn't shake this feeling of like this desire. And I was, I was in a fairly, I was writing strongly worded emails to the Holy Spirit saying, listen, <laughs> stop it with this stuff because it's, I can't do anything about this right now. I've got responsibilities. I have things I have to do, things you gave me to do. So like, knock it off up there <laughs> and yeah, um, right. <laughs> um, keep it down. I'm trying to work. And, uh, you know, I finally, it finally boiled over where I had to talk to my, my wife about it. And the two of us had a very kind of tearful conversation on the couch about like, I don't know what this means, but it means I have to do something. And then lo and behold, um, this opportunity for a departure came up. And, uh, now that I've got what I, my heart wants, my heart's, freaking out a little bit it's afraid um and that's that's that sensation of being blunted right um by those pressures and then needing to sharpen it up a little bit like okay put on your big boy pants you know like um and so the spirit's been very patient with me and i did have a con uh, in my prayers this morning I've been having things circle around me. And one of the things that's circling around me is like, what it, what would it look like to plant a church here in the city of Saskatoon? And um, uh, as part of the discernment process, one of the things that we've been reflecting on uh, is this question that Jesus asks uh, blind Bartimaeus, which is, what do you want me to do? And, you know, a blind person, you would think, well, the obvious thing is you'd like to see, right? Um, that's a very ableist orientation, obviously. Uh, and a problematic one, but also, uh, it's a great question to just have rattling around in your rib cage for a bit. And so, um, Jesus and I were talking about that. What do you want me to do? This is Jesus to me, not me to him. What do you want me to do for you? What would you like from me? And it's an irritating question because I want, what I want Jesus to do is tell me what to do. I'll have, uh, unshakable certainty. This is the path forward. And then off I go. 
But the question being turned on me means that I might have a little bit of agency. And I, sorry if this is like bothering you theologically, but <laughs> no, you're, you're good. Uh, keep, I'm, keep I'm Arminian, like <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm of the Methodist tradition and you know, <laughs> that's fine. Get, you, we you got go, no you room go. for God's sovereignty at all. We're all about human agency anyway. Uh, but it, no, Jesus did turn the conversation back on me and say, what do you want me to do? And that has been a really challenging conversation for me because I have opportunities. There are directions I could go, but what do I want to do as a soul? That is refining fire for someone who's gotten a little bit round, um, is, uh, what is my heart's desire here? What, what things do I see around me that I would like to pour myself into? What risks are, are required to to grab something new. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I, I, um, I, I, but I'm taking my own medicine. I am following this discernment pathway with my wife. It's been absolutely brilliant. It's been so helpful to me. Um, and, uh, I can't recommend it enough. By the way, I make no money from any of this stuff. So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. For, for nine yeah, 99 yeah, yeah, yeah. right now, you can, uh, <laughs> no, that, that's beautiful, Jared. And I think as, as someone, and we've talked enough that, you know, that like I've had the itch from time to time wondered, you know, what, is there something else is, should I just do this? Should I be in this place? And I think that for lots of pastors, especially those who post COVID, I mean, we're not post post COVID we're, we're like half post COVID or whatever, but it's like, they're trying to figure out like, is this, is this it? What if, what if I'm 50? you know or what if I'm just like grumpy in my current job you know or like there's lots of lots of questions I think people are asking the great resorting you know of society and um yeah, I, I think it's very encouraging to watch a slightly older minister than me you know kind of wrestle with that and also and 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 give some legitimate thought to maybe I should do it again maybe this maybe this is what the Lord's calling me to in a very different season of life I'm not I'm not 24 or I'm not 28 with two little kids like I'm I'm in a different season but that doesn't mean that I can't do it or that you know like it, it'll look different than when I was a, a young parent you know but it's um, I, I find it immensely encouraging brother so just to, to offer that to you I appreciate that you know like Leslie Newbigin wrote his books well after what people would consider them to be retirement age. And that guy took the current modern church by storm and uh, he set a brand new path. And I think that, that listen, there's age is just a number in some ways, uh, but it is also, uh, you know, I will plant a church very differently at this stage than I would when I was 24, when I first started out. So yeah. No question. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time, Jared. It's been, it's been wonderful talking to you. I feel like we still have three or four topics I wanted to hit, but maybe we'll have to do another one sometime sure. and, and catch up on some stuff or catch up on your journey, you know, as, uh, as hopefully the, the path gets a little more lit, a few steps are taken, uh, to hear maybe what, you know, what something new is happening in Saskatoon. Or that, a, giant <laughs> a giant crater, a giant crater. Just an explosion. Yeah, uh, something, yeah. something blew up here. Yeah. Either way. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. So yeah, take care. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, with me, you can email me at canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com, canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com. We will talk to you soon.